Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Hey, what's up? Thanks for giving us some thinking and drinking time today. We've got my old buddy, and I do mean my oldest friend, because he's really old, in the biz, Bob Reeves. But first, thanks to our friends at Cathead Vodka, purveyors of fine vodka and lovers of live music. Look for them at catheaddistillery.com and Cathead Vodka on Instagram. And a lot of fine watering holes. If you're digging this podcast, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating because it really helps. Thanks. Not long after Bob Reeves moved to Nashville, he met me. Good, bad, eh, let him tell us. He's seriously one of my longest and most honest friendships that I have. And he's been everywhere, man, and lived to tell about it. Here is Robert G. Reeves. Yes, Bob Greaves. <laughs> Stupid. My brother, Bob Reeves, how are you? Why me? <laughs> That's all I have to say. Why me, Bart? Because you're interesting. You've got a fun story. You're a funny guy. You're a good talker. You're a good storyteller. None of those things. Yes, you are. I'm none of those things, damn it. <laughs> you're also a snappy dresser and the only guy I've ever seen juggle chainsaws. So there you go. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I have a fallback for my career. <laughs> Right now, Walmart greeters are even getting phased out. I, well, my fallback plan is going away as we hey, speak. I only missed the one. <laughs> you don't have to have all ten fingers to greet. This is true. How are you? Shampoo's over here, and obviously <laughs> you need it. So what you been doing today? Today, I promoted records. You did? I did. How is that? Um, it's a shit show. Yeah? I mean, seriously. There's a lot of records out there. Hmm. There's too few slots on a playlist, too few playlists on a reporting panel. How many stations report now? 156 on the, on the media-based monitor. There's another 10 or 12, I think, that uh, I should probably know these numbers. I, I recognize <laughs> that this is my career. Um, I should probably be more accurate than this. Yeah, you're the boss, aren't you? Uh, there's another 10 or 12 that, you know, the, the two panels between Billboard and media-based yeah. share, but it's... Uh, but. Um, it's it's uh, it's a lot fewer than it was when we started. Man, what was the most like two seventy five? Two seventy five. My first gig in country, I was a Midwest Northeast combined regional, and my region had one hundred and twenty reporting radio stations. Man, in the beautiful metropolises of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, to oh, Augusta, Maine, to Tim. Fredericksburg, Virginia, to... What was Eau Claire? Was that Wax? Wax. Tim? Tim Wilson. Wilson. And George House. Yep. I don't know if either one of those guys are still around, but I will be honest with you, I had some of the greatest conversations with Tim Wilson. I love that guy. Yeah, he was super. Yeah. But I remember I had a bet with him that we never actually got to settle, but my deal was like, dude, you could play three minutes of farting <laughs> on Wax in Eau Claire. <laughs> Get on the air every day and do the whole, you know, cover what a year and talk like <laughs> Gary right. Owens and say, this is the greatest record ever recorded. Hey, and I'm pretty sure that you can make it a hit in Eau Claire. And he would say, you're probably right, but I'm not going to try. As long, <laughs> as long as it was the Judd's farting. Because <laughs> let's face it, we worked a lot of three minutes of farting in one way or another in our lifetime. 
Yeah, I think the phrase "you can't polish a turd" came out during those. It could very that well era. Yes, could very well. But before we get to that, uh, I read an interview with you that made me howl. You call Scotia, New York, hometown-ish, and you said you came from a family of talentless hacks. I got in a lot of trouble for that too. too. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully you're not uh, going to advertise this podcast anywhere near Leighton, Utah, where my brother lives, because I got an awful note from him uh, well, because he was very offended. Uh, but that you I included yourself. Family. Well, I included myself, and technically, the problem is, is that that reference was, did I come from a musical family? Right. And exactly. I said, yeah. no, no. I come from a family yeah. of talentless hacks. Right. Musically. Yeah. My brother is a brilliant artist oh yeah um, man i've seen some of his stuff yeah, he does unbelievable incredible stuff. yeah and even even in his in his uh, uh wow, 20 30 years of his life he owned a painting and wallpapering company and he did he did the kind of painting and wallpapering like murals and foil wallpapers and yeah. things like that were difficult to work with he's the, the guy's anything but a talentless hack right but he can't sing to save his life right. he, and he doesn't play an instrument right. so he's still a talentless hack in that way <laughs> But he did not. He took great exception at me calling my family talentless acts. Um, but um, the best part about it is my dad would have gotten it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he probably would have laughed like Helen said, you're absolutely right. right exactly. He's a hell of a dancer, though. So you tried playing instruments and nothing stuck. Nothing. And then as drums the, first. I started on drums because I wanted to go with the loudest first. To exactly. Annoy the crap out of my parents the most. And drummers get all the girls. Um, crickets. It's not, crickets. <laughs> it's not what I've heard. Crickets. So you had a friend at 12 years old that had Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. Um, what kind of parent lets their 12 year old just first the of all buy that? that year? That was 1972. That's the year the album came out. Yeah. And, and um, once I heard that record, man, did the doors open up for me musically. Um, Did you like music before then? Oh yeah, yeah. But, you know, but I was a follower. You know, I'm the youngest. Member, as we were just talking about my brother. I'm, yeah, I'm the youngest member of four kids family. Right. Um, I'm considerably younger than my siblings, um, and so I kind of followed what they followed. So right. in 1972, they liked the Doors and Logs of Messina and music that now I would just go seriously, <laughs> um, you know. The Carpenters. Yeah. You know, my mom was a Tom Jones fan. My dad was a Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra fan. Not that there's anything wrong with those No, things, absolutely. But for a 12-year-old kid. It's not what you did. Yeah. It wasn't much. So I just listened to, you know, and also you got to realize 72 to the heyday of Top 40 radio, you know, the flame throwing, you know, some jock in a booth with oh, yeah. bells and whistles and, you know, <laughs> bing. Top of the pop, bop. Five yeah. o'clock. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so... <laughs> So uh, you know, and we had a we had a station that I oddly ended up being the last guy to program music on it. But the famous fifteen forty WPTR uh, was an AM stereo station. Sounded crappy in both channels, um, uh, but it was a flame throwing top forty station back in the day with a with a, a disc jockey named Boom Boom Brannigan who actually legally changed his name to Boom Boom and man and uh, he was, never regretted it. He was the guy. Um, he didn't regret it. In fact, he lived down the street from that station even to the day when I walked out of it. His, he and his mom lived right down the street, and man. he passed away a few years ago. He's uh, but he was brilliant, and they played those records. I mean, everything from Jim Stafford and Rufus. To, you know, they played oh, yeah. anything on those stations. Yeah. So. 
Um, so those are the kinds of records I listened to. You know, it was pre-FM. Yeah. Uh, you know, AOR, album-oriented radio. It was before Freeform FM radio came up. And and uh, so Ziggy Stardust was, that was the record. It Dude. was the one where I realized, like, man, I don't have to listen to other people's music. There's yeah. music out there that I like. Now, you're such a huge Rundgren fan and stuff. Did you find him then, too? Uh, a little bit later than that. And okay. oddly, weirdly, my my... my my attachment to Todd Rundgren came from after I kind of started to get into the New York punk scene. Okay. And I know that sounds odd. People say like, you got into Todd Rundgren because you got into a, into the punk world. But in New York, the New York dolls, first two records were produced by, yeah. by Rundgren. Uh, Rundgren also produced a couple of seminal classic rock records from the late sixties and early seventies. And they, in were an American band by grand funk and, and then into the eighties, once I got into the record business of sorts, the retail business anyway, and yeah. did psychedelic furs records and, and um, God, just I mean, it's just Hall and Oates records. I was I was always kind of not necessarily a Philly soul guy, but I was always into kind of horn bands and yeah. and that kind of stuff. It was the first band I ever saw live was Chicago, so I I really dug the the rock band that had a four piece horn section. Always appealed to me. So is that the um, Terry Kath era? Yeah, Man. yeah. Beginnings was a single when I saw. Okay. It. it was the first time I saw them in concert. Have you seen that documentary on Terry Kath oh, yeah, that his daughter did? Oh, yeah. that's so good. Yeah, so that's good. a tragic story. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh So when you were working in record stores and stuff, were you just experimenting on anything like, hey, this has a gorilla on the cover, I want to see what that sounds like? I have every record recorded from nineteen seventy eight or seven till nineteen eighty four or something like that. I mean like I have a promo of every every single one of them say not for sale. Oh yeah. You know, ownership by CBS records only right. and can be revoked at any moment. Don't you dare try to tape this and give it to your friends. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I have, I, I mean, it, it was no holds barred. And, you know, in, in those days, selling vinyl at a record store, you played records in, in the stores. So you would yeah. go through the bins and find something weird and throw it on the turntable and play it for everybody in the store. Not even just yourself, you know, let alone listening booths and the rest of that. So. When I worked at record stores, I was the rock guy. Yeah. So my boss would always say, take home loudness and Ingve J. Malmsteen, not to be confused with all the other Ingve Malmsteen, <laughs> and listen to them and see what they sound like so that when people come in... You could recommend whether or I not... Could, yeah. yeah. And, oh, you like that? You'd probably like this. Yeah. And then we had a shrink wrap machine in the back, so I'd play it once, listen to it, re-shrink re wrap. So, oh, I'm quite familiar with that. Yes. Yes. Quite familiar. So why did you move to Houston when you were 19? I went I moved to Houston I worked for as a high school kid there was a there was a store I frequented um with my with the with the money that I made at my little local drugstore as a clerk. Um what I didn't spend on beer I went to the record town on Route 155 in nice. Colony New York and I bought records and records were cheap they were $1.29 on sale <sighs> new records they were $1.97 if they were in the bin like you know older older yeah. records so to speak. Um, so I just, I would spend every spare penny of my money on Record Town, on on, on Record Town Records, and and uh, I ended up going to work for them, uh, the company Transworld Music Co uh, Corporation that actually owned and operated the Record Town yeah, chain was based in Albany, and and uh, Bob Higgins, rest his soul, he died a few years ago too. Um, uh, owned the whole company, Albany based guy, and uh, um, uh, I went to him and. Begged for a job. Uh, I worked for a department store, ran a record store in a department store, and and uh, uh, ended up uh, ended up running 
I think I opened the 33rd record town store in the end before the vinyl craze and the CD craze went yeah. south and the brick and mortar record store went south. I think there were 3,300 stores or something like that. I opened yeah. store number 33 on Wolf Road and Colony. It's a FedEx store now. I drove past it the other day, in fact. Uh, um, Did you go in and ask for a cheap trick, 8-track? <laughs> <laughs> well, 8-tracks were about burnt by then, but uh, cassettes were starting to get pretty hot. By the time I moved to Houston, cassettes were a pretty big deal. But uh, a buddy of mine uh, who was a year ahead of me in high school moved to, moved to Houston right out of high school. And uh, I went down to visit him. And in driving around uh, downtown Houston, I drove past this store called Sound Warehouse. And when I saw the store, I about flipped my lid like... I was a full-service record store geek. I was a kid who loved a, a store that had a full jazz section, a full classical section. Yeah. And, and sound warehouses were already into selling Atari 64 oh, like, yeah. video games. And they had they had videotapes for rental when you put down like a $100 deposit and took a videotape home, remember? Be kind, rewind. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you brought the <laughs> thing home for two days and put it in your old VCR and watched it and then brought it back. And... and uh, uh, they had all those things in one gigantic store in the Galleria area in Houston, and I, I went back to New York knowing I was going to end up moving back to Houston because I wanted to go to work for that company. And yeah. I found the guy who owned the company and and uh, sent him letters, and I ended up going down there and lived in my car for a couple of days and and uh, found out uh, how to how to get in. I ended up uh, uh, managing a bunch of stores in the Houston area, the, the Sound Warehouse chain. They were terrific stores. I missed those. I missed that kind of stores. Oh yeah, they were huge. They were like supermarkets for records. It yeah, was, it was. It was so much fun. But what was? Uh, and I can't believe I can't remember. What was the big giant chain that just went out of business not too many years ago? Tower. Yeah, that's what I loved about. Have you seen that? Oh yeah, documentary. Yeah, that's sad, crazy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I remember going into the tower here at town. And country was way in the back, so to get to country, I had to pass everything else. And by the time I got to country, I had ten CDs in my hand. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, that's a good. Idea. You guys are smart. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're doing. I miss that store. You know, there was it was that, awesome. There was that uh, that kind of. You know, once I got into the promotion business, when your company, you know, one of your artists released a record on that Tuesday when it came out, you would march down to Tower and buy it. Oh, like, yeah. That was the deal. Even yep. though you could get tons of them free from the yeah. company you worked for. You had to go purchase one, yep. you know, at least. And uh, I remember bringing Blake Shelton in there to buy a, I don't remember which record it was, but one of the, I remember going in and walking in with him and buying the record yep. with him standing there. It was, uh, it was big fun. Um, mm. I, I miss that store. I miss, I miss record stores in general. I mean, I, I think uh, um, I'm, I'm not a, I don't, I'm I'm definitely not the guy who's who's standing on his porch yelling. I thought I told you kids to get off my lawn, or, <laughs> or even the you know I, I remember when we walked to school. It was in four feet of snow and it was uphill, uphill both, both ways. ways. Um, exactly. You know, not so much that, but I I I do think that kids today uh, with the mobile devices and the and the every single song ever recorded handy on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, whatever it might be, um, in their hand really misses. Yeah, the substance of the there. I, I try to explain this to people. I don't know how it'll come off in an audio version. I don't know if I've ever said this uh, like this, but but there was a thing about standing in front of a record bin with vinyl records, which they would stack. You know, a couple of hundred records would be in one of those. Yeah, one of those bins. You know, A to Z or whatever. And, and uh, I would flip through every single record in a oh, store. Yeah. Like I'd start at A and, and in the pop section and go to Z in the classical and go through every single record. And there's a there's a there's a sense of 
uh, comfort I I would find in the weight as the weight got heavier because you mm-hmm. kind of lean into the bin yeah. and let the records hit you on the chest yeah. as you flipped them forward. <laughs> and the deeper you got into the bin, the heavier the the weight the of the records got, yeah. leaning on you. And there's and I got to be honest with you, there's there's something about that feeling that brings. It's it's a great memory for yeah. me. I like I love that memory. I would love to feel that again. You know, um, I would love to be able to walk into a store and just flip through records just for shits and giggles, not even with the intention of buying anything, but just to see what they had. That was the only thing that ever. Not the only thing. The biggest frustration to me of record promotion is you'd get the charts and you'd go, okay, Bob Reeves is at number one, Bart Allman's at number two, but I couldn't. There was nothing to hold. Right. There was all just these numbers, and especially when it's all downloads. Now there's really nothing to hold. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm can't grab those little ones and zeros. Is no, about. <laughs> not with these <laughs> figures. <laughs> so, did you not meet a very famous drag racer in uh, in Houston? I did. Um, uh, there's uh, my dad uh, worked in the auto industry, auto parts industry. He sold the high performance auto parts to race teams, um, and stores and stuff but uh uh, we we were based in schenectady new york or scotia which is the town i actually grew up in uh not the town i was born in but the town i grew up in and the town i definitely do call my hometown ish yeah (laughs) i was born in massachusetts but i was one when my dad got transferred to upstate new york so i i I did i did grow up a new yorker and literally i'm the only one that's a new york sports fan in my entire family they're all boston fans except for me (laughs) um which is sad um well if they were older they had more time to to like the socks or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, at least they've lived through, through some pain, but this Patriots thing's got me gone. You know, I just can't take any more of the TB12. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. I wish you'd retire. Um, but anyway, that's a whole nother, yeah. whole nother subject. But, <laughs> but uh, my, um, uh, I, I'm, when I moved to Houston, Texas, it was shortly after my dad passed away. And, and uh, um, my mom was worried about me, you know, I mean, I was a kid left town for the first time i I literally went down there without a job without really a i knew what i wanted to do yeah and i had a whole shit ton of focus but zero attention span either you know i mean at 19 or whatever and i was crazed and i got in my dad's old car it was his old sales car that i acquired after he passed away right an old chrysler plymouth fury with a uh, our Plymouth Fury with a uh, um, the somebody had broken off the Chrysler logo off the front of it. My dad worked for a company called Sealed Power Corporation, which made Speed Pro piston rings and and stuff for racing. But the Speed Pro uh, or the Sealed Power logo was a was a kind of an obtuse drawing of a woman, obviously naked, with her hair blowing in the wind behind her. So it looked <laughs> as if it was. It, if something was rushing past her, right. so he broke it off of an ashtray that had come with the seal and put it in place of the Chrysler in logo. place of the Chrysler logo that somebody had broken off in a parking lot. So I pull into Houston, Texas, with my New York plates and my naked lady hood ornament, and I pull up behind a pickup truck that's on the biggest tires I've ever seen in my. Looks like you should be crushing cars at the county fair on the weekend with named Grave Digger or something. <laughs> Painted across the side of it, and he's got a sticker on the back of it that says, Lee may have surrendered, but I didn't. And yeah. I thought, I am fucked. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I am a young anymore. Yankee boy. Um, I am not going to make it a day here, and with no place to live. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so uh, uh, my mom had connections within the race world and whatnot, and she talked to people, and the only people that anybody knew in Texas that could check on me was a guy named A.J. Foyt. And... Uh, Dude, 
Super tax. <laughs> Super tax. That is not bad. Uh, but it was fun to, you know, there were times that Cha Cha Muldowney lives in Schenectady. I don't know, you know, the Heart Like a Wheel oh, movie yeah. and stuff. The first female drag racer yep. and, and a world champion and an amazing person. Nutcase, amazing person. Um, but she was around a lot. Like when I was a kid, Don Garlitz would come and yeah. he's the godfather of drag racing and stuff. But it's funny, I, I never got into any. My dad was a golfer. My dad loved racing, was, you know, into cars and stuff. And as much as I like a new Cadillac, I'm yeah. not, I've never op- opened the hood of that thing. <laughs> right. I have no earthly idea what's in there. It scared the daylights out of me. Um, I don't play golf. I've, I don't spend it. I'm not a NASCAR fan. I don't dislike it. I just don't really see yeah. the point. I'm going fast and turning left and over and over <laughs> and over again. Um, but it's fun to go to the races. Just oh, like yeah. it's just like I know hockey p- people that go to hockey games that don't know anything about hockey say it's fun to go to still a hockey fun. Game. It's fast, it's loud, it's fast, yep. it's crazy. Yep. Somebody's you gonna know. bleed. Somebody's gonna fight. It's yep. at the end somehow, one way or the other. <laughs> I'm gonna put a pretty girl in a jumbotron and off you go. Yeah, why not? Who? who what's the hate? <laughs> and around here, you might even see a catfish get thrown out on the ice. You do see that. You do. See you still that. don't really get that. But <laughs> so, how'd you get into radio? From record lied. stores and everything. I you lied. lied. 100%. I, um, coming out uh, Houston, that late 70s, early 80s was a gigantic boom in Houston. Uh, uh, the oil boom really started. It fired that town up. In fact, uh, there are similarities to Houston in the late 70s and early 80s as there are to Nashville today. I bet. Uh, when I hear uh, statistics like uh, 86 to 100 people moving to Nashville a day, day that's what it yeah. was like in Houston in those days. Um, it was really thriving, like in a big way. Wish they'd go um, back to Houston. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that in yeah. a second, I guess. Um, um, but, uh, but you didn't start country radio. Oh, no. I started pop radio. Yeah. Well, technically, I started as a production guy. So, right. um, but I was driving, I was literally driving back from, from Houston in 1983 or four. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, my, still one of my bestest pals on the planet, he's a, he sells TV time in Albany still to this day, lives in upstate New York. But he was working for uh, a AM FM combo. Obviously, it was before the Telecommunications Act were, you know, iHeart bought everything. iHeart and Cumulus bought everything. Yeah. It, was when, it was when regular people still owned one or two radio stations. Yeah. And a car dealer in town named Jim Morell, who still owns uh, Pamela and Albany Broadcasting up there, uh, owned WPTR and AM, which is that top 40 station I talked about earlier, and Fly 92, the big top 40 radio station in Albany. And uh, I called Doug and said, uh, buddy, I'm, I'm uh, coming back from Houston. I'm, I've bailed. I've dumped everything I can. I've sold a car. I got a U-Haul. I sold a car in a parking lot of a Mexican restaurant to a dishwasher for 100 bucks and put the rest of my stuff in a U-Haul and headed north. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, I got about halfway home and I stopped in Virginia. I had friends who live in Virginia. I called Doug and I said, I need a job, man. When I come back, I need a place to live and I need a job. So I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there, but I'm going to come home because it's the only place I know where I, I, at least I have a couch I can land on. Or worst case scenario, I can bug my mom and yeah. let her, make her let me stay there, you know? And uh, he, he said, well, I'm working at... Uh, fly in PTR now and and um, doing sales and stuff. I think they're looking for an assistant production director. You should apply for the job. Right. You get up here and I went. I don't even know what a production director does. You know? And he and he said, uh, well, just lie. I got your back. So just I lie. lie. 
And they gave me the job. So you just learned on the job? Yeah, I locked myself yeah. in the studio. I mean, it was a different world. You know, we worked on reel-to-reel tape decks oh, and cart machines, which, you know, are kind of like eight tracks. Yeah, uh, splicing tapes and stuff. Continuous loop tapes with head tones on them that would send them to mm-hmm. certain places. And and uh, uh, we still played, God, a vast majority of the music we played on the air were on carts uh, or vinyl records. If yeah. CDs weren't a thing yet. And, and uh, I did production during the day. And uh, there was an afternoon that uh, we were waiting for, uh, ratings that come down the program director of the radio station and i and the rest of the staff were all sitting out in the lobby waiting for the ratings to come in and and uh uh the overhead speakers were on and there was kind of an old classic jock that was a former ptr jock that had had aged into the fm world and was filling in for our midday guy on on the fly and we were listening to him and he did a break and i looked at the program director a guy named todd martin and i said todd when i was a kid i loved that guy but he doesn't sound that special to me anymore. He goes, you're so fucking smart, you do it. <laughs> so I was like, I'd never really had any aspirations to be on the air, but I had a production studio and a microphone and a tape deck, so yeah. I went in and faked the show and gave him an air check tape, <laughs> giant air quotes, yeah. air check tape. It was really me in a studio alone, not actually playing any records or doing anything but reading weather and doing the things that I thought would Here's get the latest and the greatest, the stacks of wax. Yeah, and it was pukey. It was pukey top 40, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you. Um uh, and uh, he he allowed me on the air. He said, well, well, you know, come in. There's a guy named Joe Moss, Smoking Joe Moss. Did He's still a good friend of mine. I talked to him the other day. Um, uh, he uh, he lives in Seattle now, but he was the after, the evening guy. And Todd said, come in and do like 11 to midnight on Friday night. That's only one on, hour. On Joe's thing. Just do a few breaks and just get comfortable doing it for real. Like yeah. in an honest-to-God right. setting where you actually had the punch buttons for records and make things happen when yeah. you said you were going to make them happen. And now you got to realize, you know, I'm sitting in your studio here and you've got a bunch, I, I mean, this is as high tech as it gets these days in the studio. You know, I mean, you, it's all computers and your pedal boards and, and everything. Those days, uh, the radio station ran on a, a, a board made by a company called Gates. Oh, and yeah. it was gigantic weighted pots. The pots were, were eight inches, six inches in diameter and they were heavy. They like when you, when you turned it from one to eight, it literally felt like you were turning a yeah. weighted, dial and and uh um there were only six spots and we had four cart machines and a turntable and the microphone so you had to toggle from that's why one, all those old djs had massive yeah right, exactly exactly twisting all the guns um uh you, you had to toggle from like turntable to microphone oh or, yeah yeah or uh turntable to a cart one which was in my case the issue when it happened so joe says well it's all yours here's your Here's your uh, sound effects firing, and here's your first song. It's all queued up, and it's all ready. So all you have to do is do the top of the hour intro over the sound effects, and you're good. And I opened up the mic and potted up the mic, and I'm nervous, sweating like Mike Tyson at a spelling bee, as we used to say. And <laughs> and uh, I hit the button for the cart machine, and nothing happens. Is he still there watching? So I hit the button again, but as I hit the button... Because all of this is on a makeshift built by our engineer table, when I hit the button, the whole table shakes, so the mic shakes, so there's a from the from the mic. Sorry. As I'm hitting this thing. I'm hitting this thing. I've got headphones on, so I don't really hear what's happening in the room, but the door of the studio is open, and I hear from down the hallway this and it's footsteps right. running down the hallway. And it's Joe who had toggled the first cart to the turntable for his last song and didn't toggle it back. Uh-huh. 
but I was so new, I right. didn't know to scan the board and see what was yeah. see what was toggled. So he dives in front of me and hits the button, and there was this kind of sounder thing that went when you did the hey, it's Bob Reeves, fly that Jew, blah blah, blah. Yeah. you know, <laughs> and uh, and so. At, <laughs> So the thing ends with the thing trailing out. So he, he comes running down the hallway, dives in front of me, hits the button, and the sounder goes, ends. Oh, so it's dry. Uh, so I go, hey. hey. <laughs> so I do the big top 40 opening and hit my first song. But actually, I left out a part because I got excited. <laughs> Joe comes around the corner from the thing. As he's diving in front of me, I turn to him. Now the mic is wide open and said, what's happening? <laughs> And that's when he dives, when he looks at the board and dives in front of me. So he has a scope tape of my first ever air check. Right. Me said the first words I say on him is a what dead is air. Happening? What's happening? <laughs> and he's been holding that over my head for years, like as as ransom. Someday he's going to let that. Out. So I tell the story as much as I can, so that like when it actually does come out, it won't be a surprise to anybody. That'll be played at your retirement. Yeah, there you go. Or worse. Or worse. Yeah. So I'm make a little ice noise if you don't mind. Yeah. Oh, well, I like Because it is thinking and drinking. Right? It is. So, you came to Nashville. Did you ever think of trying to go big-time radio and move to Manhattan or anything? Nothing like that? No. I mean, I, you know, with all due respect to the people I deal with on a regular basis that work in, in the fine business of radio, it was it was never my calling. Yeah. It was, I did it because it was... <clears throat> I mean, the reality is, is, as a teenager, I knew I wanted to work in the record business, but I lived in Scotia, New York, and I had no musical talent, yeah. so I did whatever I had to do to get closer to whatever I thought was the record business right? at whatever time in my life that was. Because you got so, the face for radio. It, I definitely do. There's <laughs> no question about that. Um, uh, but uh, so, you know, the retail thing was where I started, because yeah. it was what was available to me, and then when I moved to Houston, I... You know, I expanded the retail thing. I spun records in clubs and started to get involved in some of that kind of stuff. And and because uh, it all felt like music businessy to me, I wasn't meeting anybody that. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I did meet people that worked for record companies, mostly in the sales capacity. Obviously, through the retail world. So, did you get called on at these radio stations by record yeah, promoters? I was the music right director there? until later on in life. Um, so you knew what record promoters, but did. I certainly knew yeah. what. Salespeople did from the from being a you know guys so hard to explain things from the past yeah and make them make sense but there were there were there were there were record stores that were rack jobbed meaning that somebody else kept their inventory and made their orders for them and stuff and there were others that had direct buy yeah and I worked for station for for record company record stores that were direct buy record stores so uh, a salesperson came in from Columbia Records and said. What, what do you, you need? Want, you know, and I would order from them that way, and then you'd be responsible for your own returns and those kinds of things. So, um, so I dealt with those people, which you know, and I got invited to showcases and those kinds. Of, you know, when when the backstage shit happened and that yeah. kind of stuff, I got invited to that stuff. So I saw that stuff happen. So yeah. I knew it existed. So I knew there was a step to take. I didn't try to get there, but and I knew it wasn't in sales. I did not want to do that either. That was another thing. It was just a stepping stone for me. Do you ever think about? So, Moving to New York to work for a record company? No, I mean you got to realize what New York was was seminal in my upbringing. For, yeah, from the music scene and whatnot. But it was a filthy, horrible place. It was uh, not a place anybody with any sense wanted. To yeah, I say that a bunch of my friends lived there, but um, uh, but in the seventies it was dirty yeah. and different, and and uh, it's not the Disneyland that you go to now, right? Um, 
uh, by any means. It was a dangerous place. We would go down there to see punk shows and stuff when I was a teenager on the train. And when you got back, you felt like you lived through something. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't just like, Hey, went to New York this weekend and caught a show. It was like, we got out alive. We went to New York and nobody got and shot. No one got killed. <laughs> we win. We Not win. even grazed this time. <laughs> so you moved to Nashville and you met Mike Borchetta. I did. And so did you, I mean, what did he do? He handed you a phone? No, you know, my, uh, I worked, I actually worked, um, well, I did a bunch of crap jobs when I first came yeah. here, but I went to work for J.D. Haas. Oh, that's right. Um, and J.D. Haas had an office in the building that Mike owned across yeah. the hallway. And it was one of those deals where it was, a, you know, it's a pretty social business. You know how the music business is. It's not... Uh, you know, for anybody listening that does not uh, work in the industry, it's a it's a pretty informal. Yeah, everybody. There's a knows lot of downtime. Goal. You know, even even in the promotion world, we got 120 stations. You might be jamming some phone calls between 11 and three on a Wednesday, but at four o'clock, there ain't shit to do. Yeah, half the time, but stand and wait for somebody to call you back. Or and in those days, there wasn't even an email. Scenario yeah. is as prevalent as it is now that you would wait for an email back, or it's certainly not a text. Um, you know, so you literally sat around and did crossword puzzles or yeah. stared at the wall uh, until something else happened. So I would go across <laughs> the hall and talk to Mike because Mike was an interesting, funny character. And, yeah. You know, I remember the first thing I saw in Mike's office was a, a hundred dollar check from the Beach Boys Inc. that was signed by Brian Wilson. I thought it's so freaking cool. That, you know, and at the same time, I was like, God, what I wouldn't do with a hundred dollars. <laughs> Hey, are you going to cash that? <laughs> you know, but it was like a frame check, you know, yeah. oh. signed by signed by Brian, which I thought was super cool. I mean, mm. I got a chance to meet Brian and work with Brian later on, but but at the time that was a pretty big deal. You yeah, know? and uh, and Mike just took to me like he, I'm, I just remember him saying like, "Man, you, you could be something doing this." And you got uh, the gift of gab, son. And uh, he, it was when Curb was moving to town. Mike was moving. His Mike Curb was moving right. the whole operation, and Dick Whitehouse was his A and R guy, and and uh, he um, he was unsure of a move to Nashville, I think, and there was some question. And Mike actually hired me as a Curb rep. Um, I never accepted a check from Curb because some other stuff happened that ended up sending me in a different direction. But um, I I worked a few records for Mike in between and mailed records and did some other stuff. But then I. Uh, I met a gentleman who had put together a limited partnership and found a crappy old uh, former livery stable on Second Avenue way before it was cool to have clubs. Is that what on. that was? It was before? a livery stable 120 years before we opened the Ace of Clubs. I didn't know that. Um, if you look at the front of the building, I don't know if you can see it now, but back in the day, yeah, it makes sense. You could still see the feet yeah. and oats and whatever signs on the front of it. But when, when I walked in that building the first time, I had. Uh, uh, it had dirt floors and stables still the the, the the stanchions that hold up that held up the balconies in the ace of clubs were the were, were the posts that held up the stables and really i can't believe i never i've never i've man a I'll, dirt floor and a generator in it the first time I freaking like love that place um I saw so many great shows there me too oh dude i remember half of them my favorite story <laughs> of yours and i i can't remember it's somebody from like squeeze or somebody that came in and you knew from dates and stuff, and then he said, I want something to drink. Give me a Jack and Co. No, that's not it. Who was that? It was um, uh, Glenn, uh, 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 what, Glenn. From Squeeze. Yeah, lead singer Squeeze. Why am I forgetting his Til- name? Tilbrook. Uh, Tilbrook. Yeah, 
Um, he would, he, yeah, you know, obviously we'd treat those guys. The, the, he played uh, a, a version of Squeeze, which was half of Elvis Costello's band, Steve Neve and, and, and uh, Pete Thomas. Yeah. Um, a bass player, I do not remember his name right now, and Glenn played as Squeeze. Right. When he and Chris Stafford had had a falling out. And they, they played the club in Knoxville that we had in the club here in, in, uh, in Nashville. So I kind of got friendly with him. I went out, I'm, I was a fan anyway, so I went out and spent the show with him in Knoxville and I came back with him and, and they came to, to, they came to Nashville and Glenn would sit at the bar. Obviously we're going to treat them like stars. So yeah. nobody paid for anything, but he would, yeah, he would, he would sit at the bar and say, I'm feeling like maybe a brandy and he'd pour him a brandy and he'd slug it down and go, no, that's not it. How about a gin and soda? And you'd pour him a gin and soda. Obviously, stiff as all yeah. get out. You know, we're talking four fingers of gin and a squirt of soda. And he'd slug it down and go, "No, that's not it." How about a beer? And he, you know, and somehow he just became Australian. Right. Um, uh, and uh, and we, you'd give him two or three beers, and you'd go, mm, "Beer's not not feeling a beer." And he'd switch to something else. But he'd have eight drinks in ten Man. minutes. Um, but they were great. Pete Thomas and I stayed in touch for a, a long time. After that, um, uh, he's the drummer in the Attractions. He's a brilliant. Yeah. Um, is he still with Elvis? Yeah, he's still with Elvis. He is. He's like the longtime member. He and Steve Neve are Okay. Yep. That was the first club I'd ever or seen that naive, had as some people. Right. First club I ever went to that had cages. I always appreciated that. We did. <laughs> Have we told anybody what that is yet? We're talking about a place called the Ace of Clubs on yes. Second Avenue. It opened in nineteen eighty eight ish. Yeah. St. Patrick's Day, I believe. Was it? It was a fuzzy moment in my lifetime. There was a lot of goings on. Yes. There. Skullduggery, as it were. Yes. Tomfoolery. A lot of behind-the-scenes yeah. uh, stuff. That was a fun club, though, man. Glad I lived through it. How long did you do clubs? I got out of that. We opened two other places, closed two other places. In Knoxville and St. Louis? Knoxville and Santa Fe. Oh. New Mexico, weirdly. I thought it was St. Louis. No? Okay. We had an old theater in Santa Fe and Surreal wow. in Santa Fe. That we opened up was called uh, La Luna de Norte, the Moon of the North or the North Moon. I don't know why. Hmm. Um, well, it's it's an art north gallery in the lobby and a. It's north of Mexico. A, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, north of Albuquerque. Yeah, over there. Um, it uh, uh, it was a good venue. It was a, a theater venue, you know. So it's yeah, more, not like a club. Oh, okay. And I didn't have almost anything to do with that. I mean, it was. I helped with some booking and stuff. I pointed some people in their way uh, with the guy who actually ran the club. It was a whole different partnership and different group oh, okay. of people from Nashville and Knoxville. But, um, well, you explored all sorts of record companies and management and everything. Dude, what haven't you done in the music business? I have never been a stripper. Is that the music business? Oh, you said music business. Yeah. See, I got to watch that talentless hack thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> how did how cuz i mean you did management you worked with like human radio yeah we were, we uh I, at the same time the ace open um when i made the decision to kind of drop out of the music business and get into the club business yeah um uh, one of our one of our good buddies and a guy who spent a lot of time at the 
at the club had a management company um, and he managed uh, two signed acts and a couple other acts, but the two signed acts were human radio. They were signed to Columbia records. Um, their record was made by, um, Oh my gosh, I'm so brain farting. It was, it was pre Don Einer at Columbia. So when, okay. when, when the guy that signed human radio got bounced and Don Einer came in, he thought they were a novelty act because there was a song called me and Elvis on the record yeah. and they were from Memphis and he thought that that should be the single because they were a novelty act and they literally put out the single and then it pissed it away and then they dropped the yeah. act. And it, well, technically they asked out of their deal, which was a whole nother story. But, uh, um, and then he had an act called the Delta Rebels that were on Polygram okay. Records at the time. It was kind of a biker yeah. uh, rock band, also from Memphis. Um, and then we had a couple other people. We we were involved in some some funny stuff that led to other things that unfortunately we couldn't really put our i like to think that we could take some credit for it but like our names weren't on any of that right. stuff but we managed kicks brooks as a solo artist before there was a, a brooks really and Dunn. i didn't know that um we we tried we had a co-pub deal with sony atv when paul worley was at sony atv yeah. way before the, the record company days and um we tried to get this kid this piano player crazy songwriter from north carolina um, uh, to sign with our co-pub deal. He ended up going to New York and signing with Sony, which became Sony ATV in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Ben Folds. I've heard of him. Um, uh, that was, like I said, it was really fun to hear. Yeah. You know, ben was, the Ben Folds 5 was originally called Jody's Power Bill. Do you remember Judson Spence? Yeah, remember that name? absolutely. A great pop record called Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. It was yeah. killer. Um, Judson's little brother, Jody, was the drummer yep. in, in Jody's Power Bill. And they were trying to think of a name of the band. And at one point, um, somebody said, you know, what are you in it for? And, like, you know, one of them said, I'm in it for the girls. One of them said, I'm in it for the drugs or whatever. The other one said, I'm just trying to pay my – Jody goes, I'm just trying to pay my power bill. So, so they named the band Jody's Power Bill. That's so, so that's great. That's where that comes from. So, um, uh, but, yeah, we, I mean, it was, it was fun. Uh, you know, it was a really interesting time to – to then work with Don Einer at Sony afterwards and, yeah. and for him, for me to take four years or five years before I told him, cause he would have had no idea. I was a long haired yeah. guy working for a crappy little management company in Nashville. He would have no idea that I'd be the same person that became a promotion guy for him in his country division. I met Don Einer six or eight times for the first time. For the first time. <laughs> I was, I made an impression on him. I'm not really sure <laughs> not how. Not me. Uh, he would come off the elevator back after you left Sony, and my office moved closer to that back corner where Jack was. Yeah, the the elevator door was right across right. the street from my door, and uh, he, he would he would come off that elevator and bust out, and he'd see me and go, "Hey, it's the mouth." <laughs> I don't know why I would. Thanks. I guess I guess I lived up to that eventually, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, well, so how did you get that cherry gig at Monument with the Dixie Chicks? So. I got to go back a ways. <laughs> so I had some really interesting friends when I first moved to town. I met some really interesting people that became friends. Um, that kid from Oklahoma who had already left once, couldn't make it, got started to be managed by a gal named Pam Lewis and another guy named Bob Doyle. Right. He had kind of a silly Irish name, I think, like Garth, I think it yeah. was. Garth Brooks, I think. What did he end up doing? I don't know. Uh, you know... Lot, I went into the club lose track business of him? and went off, and I think, I think, uh, I think he's done okay though. Yeah. Um, uh, 
he was one of the first people I met in town that was also from the JD Haas connection. Oh connection. yeah. So, um, because he, Pam and JD were really good friends. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my wife and I remained friends with Pam for years too. Um, uh, but, uh, I met this, this freakishly long haired skinny <laughs> dude that worked for, of all people, Charlie pride. I think when I first, it was 16th Avenue Records. Which is Charlie Bride's record company. Oh, uh, yeah. Correct? He was one of the acts, yeah. Oh, I thought he owned it. Did he not uh, own 16th Avenue? Uh, oh, I don't know. All these years, I thought he owned that record. Not that I know of. Hmm. Yeah. One of us is wrong, um, which is pretty common. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's rarely me, by the way, or anybody wow. paying attention. Wow. Um, but uh, his name is Bart Almond. I've heard of him. And uh, Whatever happened to him? I was working in like indie promotion and doing some stuff and i remember you like i remember calling you going like uh, when are you gonna call a guy about a gig and you saying something like i thought you were happy being poor and underemployed <laughs> <laughs> and i said hell no which um, also sounds probably right yeah exactly um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the guy across the room from me, right, this moment. That's the one. Was the guy who hired me at that cushy monument gig. I wouldn't call it cushy. I said cherry. Oh, cherry. I wouldn't call it cushy either. I don't know about cherry either, to be honest with you. Well. I don't think it was the first time for anyone in that group. <laughs> I thought it was fun. Yeah, I remember. Didn't I just, like, call you from a rest stop in Minnesota or something right when I heard that RJ was going to go? Well, no, I called you first. I think I think when you called me back, you called me from someplace else. Okay. Um, likely from a payphone with a AT and T call card yep. with a seventy five digit code that you had to plug in before you. Made and it if you messed up seventy four digit, you had to start over. Um, <laughs> Took two hours to make three phone calls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God, uh, those are the days. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, you'd started that team and never called me. I might have. Um, I thought you were happy. Thought I was happy being underemployed and poor. <laughs> and then uh, um, when when RJ split to go work for his family's, yep. his dad's outfit, right? Yep. Was that in Colorado? Yep. Um, uh, and that that cherry spot at the Northeast hey. guy for Monument Records. With, with I, I remember to the. Uh, I remember the description when the when the company started. It was like they were like there's like three. Imagine the Doublemint commercial only it's three chicks instead of two, and with a kind of a dumb name. Yeah, the Dixie Chickens. Yeah. Um, but man, I got to be honest with you though. Those well, were, no, it wasn't chickens. It was chicks. Well, remember they. If you remember, they were originally going to be called the Dixie Chickens, and Natalie said, there's no way anybody's calling no, them No, they the put out three records they before out, that that were the Chicks, too. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, yeah. but, but in that whole, oh, in yeah. that whole scenario, um, uh, maybe it was Natalie, maybe it was uh, Marty that said that she wouldn't be a chicken, there's, and they shortened it to Chicks back when, what's her name, Laura was the lead singer. Yeah, but that was from the Little Feet song, right? Yeah. Dixie Chicken, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah that was... Uh, those were the days, man. I, it's still, I, and I I stay in touch with Simon, who managed them at the yeah. time, and and uh, <clears throat> and until recently, in fact. Um, uh, and I still would say it's like that five years between my coming on board, which is about six months into the project, mm-hmm. um, to the day that that you know the 
the incident. Yes. As they say. Did we even put out a record when you joined? Yeah, you had already worked I Can Love You Better. Okay. And I started on April 1st, and it was the day we went for ads on There's Your Trouble, which okay. was also April Fool's Day. Yes. And I'm walking down the back hallway because I have previous knowledge of Blake Chancey and Paul Worley and some people like that. Blake Chancey sticks, you know, crazy Blake Chancey with his hair back then with his wild curly hair, sticks his head out of his office and goes, hey, psst, dude, come here. Got to do me a favor. What? Come with me. I'm going to give you some keys. I'm going to stop. We get it. When we when we when we stop, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna get another car. You're gonna drive this car back and park it back behind the label. He was stealing Paul's car right <laughs> on April Fool's Day, <laughs> and I abetted without really even just go. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm well, the new guy. I hey. guess I'll just do what the crazy guy with the funny hair does. You're higher up in the company than me. <laughs> yeah, I got married on April Fool's Day. Which yeah. one? Second. Oh. Yeah, who'd have thought that wouldn't work out? Huh? Should have seen it coming. Better than Halloween. I guess, I guess. Yeah, those were fun days, man. I remember one year with the chicks after I went through that divorce, I was gone 232 days. And, dude, we were just burning it up all the time. There was one month I know I was gone 29 days. That crazy? Yeah. And, yeah, that was... No wonder we couldn't keep marriages together. Yeah. Although I seemed to manage. Well, you did. I remember... Because my wife's in the business. Yeah. Like, so... Well, my wife, that wife... (laughs) Well, that ex-wife. Really in the business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, and now, she has, and now she has a lovely young son to show for. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. I don't even want to go. Has Dude. anybody ever told, recited the stories of the, uh, of the, come on, man. It's not worth it. At some point. <laughs> at some point, we're turning the tables and thinking and drinking. You're going to be the one thinking All and right. drinking. And I'll be the one interviewing. That'll so be the, part two. So that we can get out some of the uh, but Yeah, I mean, I even... <laughs> I even remember getting a cell bill. Remember when roaming was the thing, and we were literally gone that much, and you were on the phone setting up a new act, a new label, a new staff, a new. And I turned in a cell phone bill, and it was $8,000. And I remember Alan Butler, our esteemed leader, just looked at it and kind of looked at me and goes, You getting the job done? I said, Yep. He goes, Keep it up. Just kept the freaking record company in business worldwide. Yeah. For about four and a half years. Yeah. yeah, you and I both have those diamond plaques out there for 10 million copies. You think about each. it. There were, there were a good solid four years that without the Dixie Chicks, Sony would have been yeah. belly up. Yep. Not a chance it would have survived. I mean, and look at the way the world's treated them now. Yeah. I miss those guys. I, miss I wish they I miss that music. I wish they would. Uh, Oh, absolutely. You hear it on the radio now, and it's so open and airy and uncompressed and acoustic. It sounds huge, and it sounds bigger to me. And I just, I wish they would record some more, man. I mean, I don't. I heard they made a record with uh, Jack Antonoff, the Bleachers kid. Oh, really? I saw like pictures that Natalie posted on Instagram or something of him with a fiddle in his hand and and stuff, like not playing, you know, faking it or something, like probably Marty's fiddle. And I wonder if we'll ever hear it. I, I would know. buy that. In I a went to the beat. tour last year. I went up to Saratoga Springs, you know, my hometown yeah. area, um, uh, <laughs> and saw them. And Simon, we waited till after the show, and Simon had me come back to the side stage at the very end, like when everybody was filtering out, and they thought everybody was gone. And I stepped through the door of the dressing room, and it was really funny. Yeah, like, you know, Natalie looks up and goes, "What the fuck." <laughs> 
<laughs> now I was gonna go. Amy went, but we had just lost a dog, and we had ha- we got a new two month old whatever one here. puppy. Yeah, and and our puppy was like six three weeks with us, and I said oh, I'm not leaving. So, but she said it was awesome. But so you made it through another couple of regime changes, and yeah, uh, one more. Yeah. So did you go to Warner Brothers? Right after that? No, I uh, I actually blitzed out of the business. My mom passed away uh, that last year yeah. at Sony. I, well, here's the deal. I, I mean, uh, when John Grady took over uh, Sony, yeah, uh, I think the writing was on the wall. I mean, I, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. I, and I, did, I don't dislike. In fact, I like Grady very much. I think Grady's a funny engaging dude it was a different place when somebody else took it over yeah and it got to be strange they brought in a consultant a promotion consultant a guy named al smith who was a complete dirtbag um if you're listening fuck off <laughs> um uh, uh and it just got to be really bad and it it really appeared to me that it, it appeared to me that they were just looking for people to drink a kool-aid and right and do what they were told instead of doing what was successful for us all those years and having been a part of not just the chicks, but you know, I, I was around for Miranda and Gretchen and yeah. you know all the things that kept that building moving. And then to be told by some asshole, that's never had a job at a record company, like really uh, how to do promotion, so to speak. I was yeah. like, this isn't going to work for me. So I started, I went online and bought Kool-Aid shirts and I'd wear, Hey, Kool-Aid shirts to meetings and, and I, I found out that the guy had an aspiring like fifties uh, 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 record career. He recorded two songs. He recorded Splish Splash and some other shitty song about Bigfoot or something stupid. And, and uh, I found them online, and I would blast them from my office when I uh, when it was just so to show how, you know when people would say, "What the hell are you listening to?" It's it's that him, dickhead over yep, there. It's him. It's him. Um, his name was, uh, he was a jock for a period of time. Remember the air contest? Do you remember those things that they used to do? It was, uh, they would give like a Mercedes or a Beamer away to a radio station that would critique songs. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. They were called air contest. This yeah. was the guy that like came up with that uh, whole rigmarole. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, there's probably going to be a hit out on me by the time this thing comes up, but he was uh, he was a jock in Philadelphia, and his name was Brother Lee Love. <laughs> um, I get it. Yeah, or as I call it, the city of bodily harm. Um, uh, but he uh, he um, yeah. it was just foolish, and I knew I was going to go away. So my contract was up on April 1st of that year. My mom was sick. I'd been going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, to New York to be with her when I could. I'd get the call. She's not going to make it. You better rush. I'd rush up and she'd be not fine, but wouldn't go for days. And I'd have to go back to work. Yeah. So I'd go back to work. So I, I met with uh, I met with my uh, national VP, whatever he was at the time, Bill Mackey, and I just said, "Hey, um, I have there's options on my contract. I highly doubt anybody plans on picking them up, but if you let me." survive till april 1st i will walk away gladly but the idea is is that you've been promising a certain person that you'd give them a regional job the next one that's been open and there's been several open and she's been passed by so i would prefer it if you would give her my job and i will hand deliver her to every station in the the market 
in in the region rather and and make sure that she's set up good you know to go and she still has that job um so i'm Does she really could be proud of Man. at least something happened out of that that was worth it but on april march 30th i basically packed up my office and walked out the back door of that old sony building and like nobody was out there not even security dude like it was it was very weird to have like my shit in a box and yeah. walk out of a building that i spent you know so not not only my time and energy in but that was it was man that that, that was a big deal you know i lived yeah. through the heights of the dixie chicks the depths of, of yeah. the fall the the you know launching miranda launching gretchen there's so much stuff that happened back in in country music in general but man i just i was thinking yesterday sitting at the cma awards when vince was still hosting and the first year the chicks swept everything they were nominated every for. single thing they were nominated for he just he just stood there smiling and said boys i think there's a new sheriff in town and man they killed it for the next five years or so it was it was awesome. It was yeah, so the, much the fun. The next time that happened to me, it was weird. It was, um, uh, I had left Sony. I, I went uh, myself and, and another friend, a friend of yours as well, started like a little marketing company and we did some other stuff. And I tried to try to get back into management, but I didn't really want to do country stuff. So it was like a rock act and a blues producer and some other stuff. And, and it was, it was just a swing and a miss yeah. for the most part. But for, but for a year, I kind of got it out of my system, and and next thing I know, when I was you know back working at Indies and and doing my thing. I I, I got drugged back into to uh, the promotion world by uh, the consortium people, Stan Morris and Mike Martinovich and Al Schultz, and, and I remember uh, those guys when uh, they started that uh, yeah Midas Records yep. thing, um, where they had this idea that they would do two labels there would be a label that was like current artists and they wanted to launch with this girl that nobody had ever heard of before on a, on a bad song that uh, keith fallacy wrote and 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 uh and the other one was going to be one of the co-owners of the label owned minor league baseball teams and they were trying to figure out how to put butts in seats without baseball so they were going to use the the kind of they kept on calling them you know the older acts the the, the older in the way acts you know like charlie daniels and and I, I, there was a list I, yeah. which I can't recite right now, and I I feel bad that they that I even said that out loud. But I would say, can we stop calling them the older? Well, yeah. let's call them the heritage acts, you know, instead of instead of like the old acts. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to be able to either do recuts of hits or new records by them or whatever. But the whole idea was to be able to get them to play cheap in these baseball fields. Yeah. Uh, to put butts and seats at, you know, the half times of double headers or whatever, yeah. and, and reason to sell some more tickets to a more popcorn or baseball game, and um, I didn't really want to do it, and and I, I got offered a couple of different things. I finally signed up for it, but one of the acts on the list of the of what they were kept on calling the has beens or the older acts uh, was Emerson Drive, and I and and I went to him and said, what we should really do is 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 take Emerson Drive off of this list, put them on the list of the acts with some credibility and, and still have hits. They work with uh, Teddy Gentry and Josh Leo as producers yeah. at the time. I like and, those guys. Oh yeah. Great. And songs, obviously songs yep. are great. Um, and, uh, and, and then you can launch with the unknown female cause it'd be, 
if we go out with the unknown female first, we'll just get that pounded up our ass and then all this won't matter, yeah. you know? Um, so they changed the whole business model based on that whole opinion. They changed the whole thing. They, they released a Emerson Drive record. Of course, the principals at that label had to get involved. They were producers and songwriters, so they had to have songs cut by them. They had to get their hands into production ends of things. All the while, I'm telling them, the record that will get on the radio is a song called Moments. You have to just release Moments. Um, they would not release that song because it was produced and, and written by other people. It right. was produced by Josh Leo and Teddy, and it was written by somebody else, not not them. Yeah. And uh, uh, so they made us release this other record, much to my dismay. Um, it was it was not a failure, but it was not the hit it could have been. Uh, it's it really ruffled my feathers. I've gotten to a point where I'm I'm pretty comfortable that I'm going to find another gig no matter who I piss off. <laughs> so I. I got my hackles up and I started to become angry Bob, <laughs> as some people refer to me as, you son of a bitch. Um, and uh, uh, I, I ended up asking my attorney to get me out of the deal. He dealt with them for about three days and called me and said, can we just, if I can get them to just tear up this contract, will you walk away with nothing if I walk away with nothing? Because <laughs> like, yeah. they're that awful. Like, I don't want to deal with them <laughs> wow. anymore. Um so I left like 18 months of a contract uh, yeah. on the table and walked away from the gig. The very next thing they did was release Moments as a single, and it went to number one. Um, of course. Of course it did. Um, and then I had to read in the paper how you know the factions of that place knew it all along. That right. was their hit. Uh, Blow it out your ass. <laughs> um, uh, but in the meantime, Alan Butler had taken over this montage thing. So he was the first person to hire me twice. And he hired me as a regional at this montage. Well, let's, uh, let's deal. jump ahead just a little bit. You went to Warner brothers and had a ton of success with Blake. And who else did you have over there? I don't even remember. Hunter Hayes, Blake. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 Who's that guy now? He just released a new single. He did. Like oh, good. yesterday or today. Yeah, maybe. Super uh, talented kid. Oh, Holy unbelievable. Uh, one of the most talented people yeah. I've ever been in the presence yeah. of. And he was a kid when I worked with him. A uh, kid. I mean, <sighs> 17 or something. Yeah. Um, and green, because from a small town in Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, and and uh, uh, and literally, he's that, uh, he's so good at what he does because he was like a shut-in, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, you know, he he self-confessed. Like, he when other kids played what he calls sports ball, when other kids played sports <laughs> in high school and stuff, he, he sat in his room and learned to play another instrument. Like, that first album that we released on him, he played 31 instruments. He played every instrument on the record. I have a theory on that sort of thing because think about the greatest musicians you've ever met. By and large, they're fairly small people. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is exactly that. I mean, I remember Neil Sean from Journey. He said, I was never picked for any team, so I sat in my room and played guitar. And Well, he did pretty good. Yeah, well, Hunter, Hunter did that with every instrument that yeah. anyone would hand him, literally. Yeah. Like, he didn't care what it was. And he taught if it himself. it made a noise, he taught, taught himself, himself how to play. Pro Tools and stuff, yeah. He used Logic. In fact, he taught or me logic, how to use yeah. Logic. That's what I, I use for my little vocal studio. You do? Home. So That's he taught awesome, me man. how to use it. When we, uh, um, but so Hunter, um, God, Jane Deere Girls. Oh, John yeah. Rich, had a top 10 record on them. Yep. Uh, Brett Eldridge had been on our second team for a period of time. They switched them to our team. We had his first number one record. Um and don't you? And he's had a string uh, since then. Um, 
I came into the tail end of Wreckers. Uh, we had, oh, an, yeah. we had, the, I had the only number of record on Big and Rich, who I'm working with again now recently. And, uh, uh, yeah, I saw that. that music mafia thing that went along that was the, fun. in the, uh, in the aughts or whatever you want to call yeah. that, the nineties and the aughts. I, uh, I, uh, I'm the only promotion person on the planet with three number one records by three different music mafia people. So I got Big and Rich, Gretchen Wilson, and James Otto. Oh, yeah. So two at one label and yep. one at another. So, Well, um, so you've obviously, you've been around a couple of, you've seen a thing or two. How, uh, has the business changed? <laughs> no, I, I love that you can't even ask the question, <laughs> keeping a straight face. I guess my real question, and answer it or don't, is is radio still driving force and selling records, or is Absolutely it all not? What what is? Is it just touring? Is it is it XM? Is it social that, media? I don't know that there's a driving force. Okay. Uh, uh, the, I think. Wow, what would be the driving force? Wow, you're making me think. Um, I don't know that any one thing does it anymore yeah. i think it's a convergence of things and i think that's probably always been true but radio has been such a right. huge catalyst yeah. to so much of the convergence um uh man is sirius xm playing a bigger role it did yeah i mean help you break axe uh it did you don't um, think it does anymore well i mean i guess yeah you know i'm an active promotion guy i wouldn't it's hard for me to say. So I don't want to say anything that would no. disparage anybody, and I don't right. mean this in disparagement to anybody. Yeah. But the reality is, is that everything's cyclical, right? Yeah. You know. So, um, and in in our world, it's not even cyclical. Like it comes back. It it yeah. it just moves. Uh, you know, we went. That's from, a great point. We yeah. went from seventy eights to forty fives to thirty three vinyls to to cassettes to, or a tracks to cassettes to Cassingles. CDs. To you know, do not forget <laughs> do the casino. Um, you know, to downloads. Now, you know, I had a friend who works in and amongst the Apple world, and I don't mean just Apple world in general, but I mean Apple world in Seattle. Yeah. Who said that that the amount of money that Apple Music, Apple iTunes has made the last couple of years? If Steve Jobs had been alive five years ago, he'd already shut it down. Like Man, it, it was a three billion dollar a year. Yeah operation for a period of time it was down to 600 million or something like that and he said that wouldn't be worth the day well it's like you mentioned downloads i mean i was working with uh, florida georgia line for a couple of years and i saw my very first diamond download award they had 10 million downloads and on. who was that fgl with, oh, Cru- yeah, oh, with cruise. cruise yeah and it's like well see but there's a perfect kid. example of how xm broke something. yeah yeah you know i think they're probably the marquee act and i'm and in all deference to to uh, Kid Kelly, who runs Hits One and yeah. stuff, and he's a great programmer, uh, but in the pop world, and I'm certain that there's pop records that sure. were broken completely by him. I don't, and I and so I don't want to disparage him in any way either. He's also a great guy and somebody I respect a great deal. Uh, I just can't name the record that came from that, yeah. but it's so apparent to the world that Cruz was yeah. the record that the Highway. Oh broke yeah, all man. By yeah. No one else was in on that. Yeah. No one else knew what was going on. John Marks and 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 Steve Blatter, you know, absolutely cornered the market in yeah. the world. And I think the Parmalee record after that was was also pretty pretty 
XM centric, yeah. you know, before it went to the rest of the world. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I wish the highway played more of the records I'm working these days. They don't really pl- partake in a lot of them. Um, uh, they, like everybody else have limited playlists. You yeah. can only fit so many songs in an hour and so many hours in a day. And it's not like we get to expand it and say, let's make the day 26 hours yeah. from now on. Um, you know, so, and, and we can't make records any shorter crap. I'm working a two and a half minute long song right now. Man. Modern age. That's well, so what's the role of a record label in 2019? Bank. Is that it? Just a, it's a bank, be the entrepreneur. That's what it's always been. Yeah. But more so now than ever, because I, I mean, we don't, even with the 360 deal, when I was at Warner, the 360, deal was the big deal, you know? Yeah. Um, you you signed a deal with a record label and they didn't you didn't just get they didn't just get a piece of the recorded music they got a piece of your publishing a piece of your touring and a piece of your merch, merch. you know and then the you know the labels that have been smart enough to do things like operate their own you know word is probably the greatest example of it which was partially Warner owned for a period of time when I was there but Mike Kerb has bought the entire thing himself he was always a large ownership yeah. uh, group of that but they have an in-house booker they have their own merch deal that every single thing that happens with a word act happens in-house man so it's a hundred percent worth it to them yeah to have a, a francesca battistelli or a yeah you know whatever you know because they're not living on just the recorded music which right. now is 99 you know which is now uh, what point zero zero seven cents a stream or whatever you know, it takes a shit ton of streams to make any money on that tell me um, about it <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, as a, I, I'm probably. Am I the first guy that you're talking to that's not like a songwriter or oh, no. a musician? No. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, we look at it a lot different than you guys do yeah. in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, it's uh, the 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 catal- the catalyst for success is man. The bar is so different now. It's oh, like, yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, guys, think about uh, when I think about you guys in particular, because so many, you know, my wife's a singer and songwriter too, and I'm surrounded by singer songwriter friends and yeah. from all the years in this town. And I sit and think sometimes about the uh, about how many friends of mine made livings with a hit, oh, dude, or ten album cuts over the course yeah. of a decade or yeah or so when we were selling twenty dollars CDs and <laughs> yeah. they'd sell millions. Yeah. Um, you know, it's album cut is it's only good for your ego because if it's not a single man, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And I've been trying to. I I I think of I think off mic earlier we were talking. I I critiqued a young kid's. He asked me to listen to his single that was going to come out on his album. All air quotes, by the way, um, for those not paying attention. Um, and I mean, I work for a company that puts out albums. Uh, you know, I don't think it's dumb to put out records, albums in general, but the album culture is dead. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. My advice to the kid when I heard the single was, is it's, it's too inside, it's too Garth-like, and what you really ought to do is focus on finding two or three great songs. And I don't mean songs that your mom likes. Yeah. I mean songs that other musicians and, and people in the know will tell you, God, that's a great that's fucking a, yeah. song. Yeah. Like and and take those four songs, record them as best you can. Don't come to Nashville yeah. and hire the best music. And I know there's 
people out there right now, half the people that have done your podcast right now are going, hey, fuck you, Bob. <laughs> Don't come to Nashville and spend a fortune yeah. to cut them. Don't do that because it's stupid to do that. Like you're just, it's expensive. You might as well just flush that money down the toilet because if it doesn't work, you're screwed. Yeah. Like, and release those records every month or every two months and put them on social media and, yep. and, and get as many people as you can to hear your song and say, God, that's a great song. Yep. And somebody will come hunting for you. Yeah. And and then you're in the driver's seat. And like, nobody has the time anymore or is in there even in their car long enough to listen to a whole album. I mean, I do it, but that's because I'm old. But yeah. Uh, the, like I listened to a Marin Morris record this morning. I didn't make it all the way through it, but, you know, treadmill, yeah. ear pods, you know. Right. Um, uh, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. But. Yeah, half of those songs go to complete waste, and there's songs on there that I know will never make it through a single that I thought were in first pass listen that are yeah that are brilliant. Not to mention she's already batting behind the curve because she's a chick yeah. in this format, which which is still yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. But but at the same time, there's so much music out there, and so much of it's not very good. Yeah. And so much of what's <laughs> yeah. not very good makes it a long way. And it's all our faults, you know, but it's, man, it's so frustrating. It's, so, it's funny. I didn't think we'd get to this spot, to be honest with you. I, I am so frustrated to work, with, to work with an act like, if I can sound self-serving, and I don't mean it to be like this in any way, but I work with a young girl from Canada named Tennille Arts. Um, it just so happens there's another girl named Tennille out at the exact same time. Ugh. They're the same age. They're both they're both Canadian. They, they 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 their parents are both Captain and Tennille fans. They're both named after the same person. They 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 have so many similarities, except for the fact that 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 their music is completely different. Yeah, and I don't want to take anything away from the other Tennille, but my Tennille is an immensely talented Tennille, incredibly. Uh, thoughtful and and it's just man and to have her do a two and a half minute long segment on the bachelor uh as the only person invited back for the second time the first time she went on she didn't have a record deal the second time she went on she had our record deal the, she played a song on the first one for 30 seconds with people talking over it i don't really know much about the show but i've seen yeah. the two shows but there's segments where they'll play music but there's the guys you know trying to get in the girl's pants or whatever in between right. and and uh uh over 30 seconds of that it took her a year to get a million downloads on that song in a two and a half minute segment that was based on the date of the bachelor and the girl he was trying to get into the pants of was at her show in L at this LA theater. Okay. So they actually showed her on stage playing the song for a minute or two. Yeah. 2 million downloads in four days. Oh man. And when I went to radio with it, they told me, you know, Bob, the bar is higher at radio, higher than 2 million people that download that, that listen to the song just because they saw a minute of it on Aren't TV. Those called active listeners or something like that. You know, we sold an undo, and I don't have the numbers again. I'm a promo guy and a record guy, and I should know all this shit, but it just shows you how, I, a matter of fact, I do my job. Uh, those, <laughs> I don't use these numbers very often, but like we sold a ridiculous amount of a, an album that she self-released a year and a half ago. Mm. That four days that she did 2 million downloads on the song she actually played on the show, that song's not on this album. Man. But people bought it anyway. Yeah. But somehow, radio's above that. 
Well, I mean, it's got to be bigger than that. Yeah. You know, like another Brad Paisley record that sounds exactly like the last one. Dude, I got used to get so frustrated because I would go to a radio with, it's already top 10. Well, our job's not to get records up the chart. Okay. Or you'd go, well, we sold 6,000 pieces in your market over the last two weeks. Well, our job's not to sell records. Like, well, then what is your what job? What is your job? To keep listeners. Yeah, to, to sell out. tires. To tuning out, to sell tires. And that's, I get it. But it's, it, yeah, yeah, I think that frustration. I am constantly reminded of my end. first radio gig. <laughs> the owner of the radio station, Jim Morrell, still around, did a thing with one of his stations last week. Jim bought the AM-FM combo of WPTR and WFLY-FM because he owned 12 car dealerships and it was cheaper to buy the two radio stations than it was to pay for advertising on radio stations around the <laughs> Capital District for his 12 car dealerships. And, That's awesome. and so you have to go back to that over and over again and realize yeah. exactly what it is yeah. that we do. Songs are something to fill time between car commercials. Totally. Yeah. Shameful? Yeah. Totally true. And, but, and it's how I've made my living. Oh, dude. And for a really make... long time now, both on that side and on this side. Yeah. Um, but we all know, I, I mean, well, I hope, maybe we don't. Maybe we don't all know. Maybe I'm the first one saying this out loud. <laughs> what happens between the records is what makes people love your radio station. Yeah. Uh, the the connection to the jock. And, and, and I don't have any issue with national programming. I don't have, if Bobby Bones is loved in Nashville and loved in Maine and loved in yep. Southern California. Sure. Awesome. Yep. Absolutely. If he connects with that audience and keeps yep. it on, that's terrific. And Bobby does a shit ton for a lot of unknown artists yeah. and stuff. He, he does. He champions and not just even country acts. I've listened to the, oh, I've yeah. listened to the, to the show and he's, he's played, Dua Lipa songs or something, you know, yeah. that, that he just thought was cool that morning. And that's, that's a huge, that's a huge service and you can't buy that kind of promotion, yep. you know? Um, you know, but this 18 song playlist, when, 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 when once again, Spotify, Pandora, Apple music is sitting on a handheld device in your pocket and you got earbuds in your pocket and you can, and you can look up any song ever recorded and play it. Why would you limit yourself to 18 songs? Yeah. You know, that's my issue with satellite radio. My issue with satellite radio is why do I ever hear an old song on a satellite radio station? I pay for the right to listen to that radio station. I don't want to hear boot scoot and boogie. Yeah. No offense to Brooks and Dunn. No, absolutely. absolutely. Or the highway. Yeah. It's the same thing to me with classic rock though. It's like there's, there's songs I don't ever need to hear again. But that's classic rock. Yeah. And it belongs on that channel. And if you hear it on that channel, you've gone to that channel to listen to absolutely. that channel because of that yeah. music. Yeah. If I'm listening to a Oh, you're talking terrestrial. Okay. Okay. Whether it be the highway or, oh, okay, prime country. Oh, I guess prime country is a classic country state. Yeah, you know, um, you know, if you're going to call yourself the new music leader in Spokane, Washington, I don't want to hear a fucking ten year old record. Yeah, I want to hear something I've never heard before, and I know we're rare, right? And that's the other, the other part of this that you always have to take in is that I'm we don't know a typical radio listener. No. Your wife's never worked in the industry. Well, she worked in publishing. publishing. Company. 
But she's but not she's, typical. But she's never worked at a radio station or in a promotion world or anything like that. She still doesn't listen to the radio normal. My mm-hmm. brother, who's never worked in the industry, as I said, is a brilliant artist and a painter and a, you know, all the things he's done in his life from the Coast Guard to, to now. He doesn't listen to the radio like a normal person because of what I do for him. Yeah, sure. So we can't, it's hard to find somebody to tell you yeah. what they really want to hear. But more and more and more and more, I hear, on the street, and I get apparently, by the way, um, because of the new political state that we're in, you're allowed to just say, I hear, and it becomes true. Right. I hear all the time, you know, from different people everywhere. <laughs> from Joe Lismer, you that know Joe. All people want to hear is new music. Yeah. They want to hear their hits, sure. But past that, I don't want to hear hits from the past, I want to hear current hits. And new music. So play them. Yeah. Play a shit ton of them. Play all mine for once in your life. <laughs> so if you could have done anything else, what would it have been? Oh, I'd have been a musician. Really? Oh, no question. That's what I wanted. Although, from, from what I've heard, hack. you're a talentless hack. <laughs> Me and all my siblings. <laughs> so what's next for Bob Reeves? Uh, Walmart greeter. But I hear they're phasing that out. Starbucks barista. Except for I hate Starbucks coffee, so that's going to be difficult. Duncan Is Duncan looking? I hear they've taken the donuts out of their name. I like their coffee. I drink their coffee every day. So where can people find you? Where's your socials, man? Oh, Christ. <laughs> um, well, I'm not accepting friend requests on Facebook. I'm actually trying to weed out. Have I told you that story? No. Um. Have we been doing this for two hours yet? Just about. Okay. Um, so I was on vacation in the Caymans once. I'll try to make this as quick as possible. So I know you I know you want me to get the fuck out of here. And that's why you're asking me about my socials. Because <laughs> who could give a shit about that? If there's that's a time to tune out, it's when he starts saying, so tell me where we can find That's you. obviously the last question. On a question. street corner at church and <laughs> 17th. With a sandwich board. Um so uh, we were in the Cayman Islands on vacation. It rained so hard one day that you couldn't even sit on the balcony of our little apartment that we rented because the rain was coming straight off the sea mm. and into the building. So we were sitting with Wi-Fi and whatnot in the, in the little tiny British island there uh, south of Cuba. And uh, I started to say, like, why do I have, like, 2,000 Facebook friends. Like, I don't even know 2,000 people. How did I'm I get 2,000 Facebook friends? And I started to realize, in the beginning of Facebook, not knowing anything about social media, if somebody said, hey, I want to be your friend, I said, oh, they want to be okay. my friend? Oh, of course. Well, come on in. All are welcome. <laughs> and then I start to realize that my feed is so full up, I don't even see my wife's shit or your yeah. shit come up because it's full of some jackass who's got some stupid political rant or yeah. or you know, or the new sunglass hut has a oh, sale yeah, for that, 30% for sure. off. It's like, great. So, thanks. um, the fake Ray-Ban store that I see yeah. every day. Um, so, uh, I started to go through and just t- kind of try to pick out people that I just thought like, not that you're not worthy of being my friend, but I just don't know you that well. Yeah. If I'm going to weed out people, I need to just start using some kind of discerning, yep. you know, so, but when you scroll down your friends, when you're just looking at your friends, when you get to like, A's, B's, C's, when you get to the D's and you hit delete to a friend, it zips back to A and you have to scroll back. So when you get into the middle of the alphabet, it becomes kind of a hassle. And right at that moment, I got that little notice that that said, hey, Bart Allman and seven of your friends are experiencing a birthday today. Wish them happy birthday here. And I went, oh, it's brilliant. 
every one of my friends, I get a notice when their birthday is. So when I get the notice, I'll go through and decide whether or not they're still my friends. Ah. So I delete people on their birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so if I you, know what I'm doing this So weekend. I literally confessed. I, I put a Ugh. post up on Facebook that said, if you get on your birthday, if you get an HBBA from me, right. because that's all I do. I don't do anything special for anybody. I don't call anybody, yep. hey, let's get together, buddy, or any of that bullshit. Nope. When you're going to get 400 of those from 700 people you don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to say, HBBA, Bart Allman, happy birthday, Bart Allman. Um, you are good for another year. <laughs> if you don't get that, check your friend status with me. If you give a crap, you're likely out of the club. Um, so I'm not accepting any new Facebook friends. <laughs> But uh, I'm I just search Bob Reeves. I don't know. Uh, I'm not the guy who makes reeds for wind instruments in California. There's a guy named Bob Reeves that I. He makes uh, trumpet mouthpieces yeah, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, dude, you have said it all, my friend. Not I'm really, really. We could go on if you'd like. I'm uh, I'm very thankful for you, man. Been a great friend for a long time. Dude, back at you. So I one love of you. one of the original. You're the you're like one of the OG friends for me. Like. Or just OF. Old Bucks. Original friends. Oh, I'm going with Old Bucks. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Bye. See you.